when you work really hard and you have this belief that you are outworking everybody else through a long period of time, there's confidence that comes with that. That is, you know, it's really hard to get because it takes a long time, um, but it's really hard to ever lose. Hello and welcome to another episode on the Well You Mental Training Podcast. My name is Ami Strutton-Belnoff and I will be your host. Today we're honored to speak with Derek Olson. Derek has a long and established career in the beach volleyball world, competing on the AVP, Association of Volleyball Professionals, since 2008, where he had 13 top 10 finishes. Derek also competed professionally on the International FIVB Tour, where he had three top 10 finishes and finished as high as fifth. Derek earned the opportunity in 2016 to compete in the Olympic qualifying event in Rio de Janeiro on the infamous Copacabana Beach. Derek has coached youth, adult, and collegiate players and teams. He now coaches the beach volleyball team at Cal Berkeley, where in his first year, he took the Cal Bears to their best record in Cal history. Derek, thanks for coming on the uh, podcast today. We're super excited to have you. Um, I know it's very interesting times right now, um, but we really like your story because you have, uh, you know, a different pathway to where you, you know, ended up as a pro and then turned into a coach. And I think that is a really cool story for players that uh, transition into the coaching world. But I wanted to give listeners and everybody a little bit of like, opportunity to get to know you a little better and to understand your pathway of athletics and how it ended up with beach volleyball. And I wonder if, if beach volleyball was always your sport starting out. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm honored to be here for sure. Um, anytime I get to, you know, talk about uh, my passions and my story, I uh, appreciate it. So, um, but yeah, a little bit about me. So, uh, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Um, and I grew up in, you know, a family where everybody played sports. Um, uh, my dad actually played beach volleyball, um, my whole upbringing, but there was never an opportunity for me to play, uh, volleyball growing up. So I played basketball, football, lacrosse, pretty much everything else, depending on the season. Right. Um, and then it wasn't until my freshman year of college. Um, so I had been around it. My dad coached and played, like I said. So I'd been around it, understood the game. Um, but it wasn't until my freshman year of college that I actually um, tried, tried it for the first time, tried playing it. And so I played on the men's indoor club team at the University of Oregon. And I pretty much was hooked um, from the beginning. Um, you know, in the winters, I would play indoor. In the summers, I'd play beach. And I never stopped. I, I played literally every single week, no breaks, um, and played for four years at Oregon and then moved down to San Diego and uh, just continued it for about 10 years until I moved up to Berkeley. And, and it's interesting, everybody's pathway to where they get to their excellence. Like some people start playing football at like age six and never stop till they're the NFL. 
Um, so you had mentioned like a, a variety of sports that you played. Why do you think it was uh, beach volleyball or volleyball in general that like hooked you or how did you land there? You think? Yeah, I, you know, it was always, it was always um, in my blood, if you will. Like I, I, because I grew up around it, I always wanted to play it. There was just never any opportunities. And so me and my brother often like joked about, you know, playing on the girls team and, you know, with title nine, they couldn't tell us no, but you know, so there was just not the opportunity. And then finally, when the opportunity presented itself, I, I gave it a go, but um, you know, I was also a kid that didn't grow till later. Um, couldn't physically mature until later. I was a late bloomer. So, you know, I entered high school at five, two, a buck 12, and I was a shrimp and I was always on the athletic side, but, I could not gain strength. I couldn't grow. And it was really frustrating for me. So I felt like my window of opportunity, you know, you, you don't play football very long and your opportunities are only given to you based on what you really do in high school. Like you got to showcase your ability with basketball and football to get to play in college. Like you got to be pretty good in high school, but I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get to that level. So beach was kind of a, unique opportunity because I got to kind of go at my own pace. Most of the athletes are, you know, older. And when I picked it up, I just, I could see myself getting better and there's just more opportunities. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting sport. As you know, I played beach volleyball as well. It wasn't my first sport. I, I, I started really late in life, uh, probably later than you, but, but I think on our last uh, uh, episode, we had, we had talked a lot uh, about, you know, growing into your body because it, it really can set the tone for your sport for when you grow into your body and then having the athletic skills because I know you, I know you're super athletic, but then translating that into like what you said, like strength and um, being able to like translate that into the technical aspects. So you you kind of make your way into the beach volleyball scene, but but you ended up at a very high point, like at the competitive level. I mean, you're pro. Uh, how did you know like this was real? Because beach volleyball can be one of those sports like let's play it for fun. But yeah. do you remember a defining moment at what point you had the belief or someone gave you the belief in which you, you know, turned it on to be to, to decide this was going to be my path? Like I was going to take this as far as I could. Yeah, um, there were there there was a defining moment moment for sure. I think um, again, like I watched my dad play, and I found out kind of later as I was beginning to start my own career how good of a player he was. So I always kind of had it in my mind, like I can be at least as good as my dad was, you know. Um, and early on, I'm not much of a goal setter to be honest. Where I have like these, you know, goals written out of what I want to achieve. But one of the things that I wanted to accomplish was I wanted to play in like a main draw, which is, you know, with like the best athletes on tour. And that was just kind of something that I had. Um, that was my carrot, if you will, that was dang that I was dangling in front of myself. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I played it, uh, you know, I, I trained hard and the defining moment, honestly, for me and, and actually, I've thought about this a lot lately, just because of the the time, the crazy times that we're in now with this pandemic. But I remember when I was coming up, 
Um, I was starting to find my groove a little bit and I was set to play in my first main draw where I didn't have to qualify. Um, and I was really excited. I had enough points through the other qualifiers, um, previous to this tournament, um, that I was going to be in the main draw automatically. So this was like me reaching my goal, if you will. And then literally a week before I got a call that the tour was going bankrupt. Mm. And I forget which year this was, maybe like 2010 or 11, but I was crushed. I was like, I finally like got to this point where, you know, I was going to play with this guy, Mike Bruning, and we were going to play in Manhattan Beach Open. It was a bigger draw. Some more teams got to go in and, and I was essentially going to be in on points. And then all of a sudden it was pulled from me. And the defining moment really was for two years, I want to say Nothing was going on. There were barely any, there wasn't any pro tournaments. So a lot of guys just took it off. A lot of guys just said, you know, I'm going to move on to the next thing or I'm going to move on with my life. But I knew it was going to come back around. I knew this was just an opportunity for me to uh, put in work and gain on anybody that was better than me. I was going to catch them. And so I literally had that mindset and I literally had that conversation in my head I just I didn't I worked harder then when there was nothing to really play for because I knew others weren't and so sure enough when the tour came back around as I knew it would I was ready and I took full advantage of those opportunities when it when it did come back that's a that's a like a, I remember that story like you just reminded me of that whole like you know setback I mean it, it is kind of reminiscent right since we're in this pandemic and now we have this huge break and what are athletes doing how are they training you know there's like a pause right and what we don't know what's next was there a point in your playing at which you discovered or realized that wow this mental game is a big factor here um, and it's not only just the athletic you know strength training. Yeah, for sure. And I think you pick up little pieces. Maybe you're not self-aware um, early on, you know, uh, about what's going on and, and the mental side of everything. But certainly as you get older, you start realizing uh, how important uh, the, the mind is with um, especially our sport, but I, I would say in any athletic endeavor. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, towards the end, of my career, I was relying more on that than anything physical. Um, so it's just one of those things where you kind of, I think, grow to understand uh, throughout the process and, and then appreciate, you know, at the very end, certainly. Yeah. And so what was that for you? Like, I mean, everybody has yeah. like a certain like mental um, thing that they understand. Like you talked about this concept of self-aware, like, you know, and I think it's one of the most important pieces. If you're ever going to be successful at some, some regard or some aspect in your career, you have to have a good self-understanding and awareness because it's different for everyone. What was like yeah. the piece for you, the mental piece that worked best or you found out that you needed to harness or focus on the most for your success? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think being able to focus and being in the moment during competition was the biggest, you know, significance to my success during competition on the court. Um, I think there is a lot to be said, and and I, um, I I 
I think this is definitely mental, but when you work really hard and you have this belief that you are outworking everybody else through a long period of time, there's confidence that comes with that. That is, you know, it's really hard to get because it takes a long time, um, but it's really hard to ever lose. Right. And I think a lot of us kind of look at confidence and, you know, they, it, it's one of those fake it till you make it type things like, Oh, you got to believe in yourself. You got to have confidence. And it's way easier said than done. Like you have to develop that and it takes a long time. And so, but once you have it, it's that authentic confidence that you carry with you um, through sport where like deep down, you know, that, you know, whether it's you being more deserving of the outcome that you want or whatever, but you know that you put in the work and you're not going to let somebody take that from you. So I think both of those things like off the court and in preparation, it's uh, that grind to have that authentic confidence. And then in game, it's just being able to focus. And, you know, I've heard, mental toughness being defined as being able to focus on the next most important thing. And I think that's really true. Like when you're in the moment, like how are you doing triage on a situation and putting all your energy and focus on the next most important thing. And I think for whatever reason, I don't know. I was always pretty good at that. I didn't let too much outside of, um, you know, off the court. Like I didn't let that much, uh, get in the way or distract me. I was always really, you know, focused and attentive on, uh, you know, the next task that had to be performed. I mean, I really like what you said about building authentic confidence because um, confidence is is one of these key aspects. You know, we talk about that a lot in in our platform and in, in in our app that helps you like access, you know, confidence. Um, but it's got to be authentic. It's got to be a deep seated belief. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is it for you, it came through the dedicated practice, the preparation, like off the court, like practice, practice, practice. And through the practice and preparation, you start to gain like not just like a fake belief or confidence, but like a real like I belong here kind of confidence. Yeah. And again, like that's it's unshakable when you get when you get in moments of adversity, I think that that fake confidence of just hyping yourself up that goes away really quick when push comes to shove, but that authentic confidence carries you right through it. And was, was internal validation uh, matched with external validation for you? And by that, I mean, um, you know, like you were always from, you know, I know you as an athlete, like really dedicated to your practice and preparation, you know, you practice a lot, how much, or how important was external, the accolades and the external validation, uh, a factor in your success? Or would you say maybe it was, it was mostly kind of sided towards like just your, your grinds through practice that you gained that belief? Yeah. Um, I'm somebody that loves training. Um, just, and I think that love is probably innate like I don't think that had to be developed I love the process and I always have um so for me that was definitely um what fulfilled me more than anything and and I know you know oftentimes we're trying to uh 
coach people into thinking that way. But for me, I, I just loved that waking up every single day, going through a routine, getting a little bit better. Um, and then, you know, hopefully you achieve your goals, but I was never defined by that. I think it's unless you're at the very, very top, you're always going to be let down. Like you're, you know, there can only be one, you know, champion at the very end. So it's, it's a lot more losing, um, in the sport than winning, but that's not, you know, even though that's the point and the goal, it's not, you know, that's not what matters. And so I think as you, uh, get better and better with the sport and in beach volleyball, you know, I, I might've been starting out in, uh, amateur competitions and then I win and it's great for a minute, but then I'm playing pro events and it's a lot harder to win. And, you know, so it, it it really is just more about the the training and the everyday process. And I, I've been diving into that actually a little bit, some of what I've been reading and mastery. You know, we talk about mastery in 10,000 hours to, uh, you know, attain mastery. And this, you know, this book I'm reading is really talking about mastery is really defined by your love of the practice, you know, yeah. uh, just practicing and becoming, you know, in love with that. Uh, and I think sometimes you know, athletes today or even in the past had lost the focus through trying to attain that outcome and that goal, which we need and we want, but it really is that love of the practice, I think. Um, I think that's a really good point. Um, so, you know, you're going along your path. Do you have any defining greatest moments um, and, you know, harshest defeats or like lowest points that you can recall in, in your sport and in, in playing? Oh man. I mean, I know I have a lot of crushing blows that I've tried to put past me. Um, you know, anytime where you come in with expectations and, uh, you know, you're, you're met with, you know, a harsh loss and disappointment. I mean, it's, it's a huge blow, but, um, certainly losing any, any qualifier where you're expected to get in and, you know, now you're all of a sudden faced with not being able to, continue playing in the main event you're not making any money um you know your ego takes a hit i think those are all <laughs> devastating but um you know like some of the greatest memories that i have are um probably the 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 biggest um greatest moment that i have is playing in rio de janeiro uh practice dry run if you will for the rio olympics where they had you know, all the best players, a uh, few minutes, few months before the Olympics gearing up, um, you know, basically peaking. And um, we qualified in and, and got to play against the best team in the world, the team that ended up winning the gold medal, uh, Bruno and Alisson. We played them first and then, you know, got crushed, but it was in Rio and a huge stadium and on the beach of Copacabana and, then our next match, we played against the future silver medalist um, who, who would go on to win silver uh, a few months later. So I think that was probably like the pinnacle, like, holy crap, like I'm playing against the top two teams in the world right now in Brazil. How did I get here? You know, and that's that's the question. Like, how did did you did you project or foresee yourself there or? You know, it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing that you're talking about because, like, here you are, right? And I think a lot of great athletes, you know, talk about, like, you know, some say I've always imagined myself here and some say I never could believe I was here. 
did you project yourself in that moment ever or you just happened upon it through your practice and staying in the process? Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I did, to be honest. Uh, maybe, maybe I, I dreamt it or I had these grand illusions, but no, that was definitely a moment where I was like, like what just happened? But it, it just kind of also reminded me, like, you got to give yourself opportunities and just like, almost like wing it. You know, I think a lot of times we just, we know that maybe we're not at that level or we're not there yet. And we shy away from these opportunities or being vulnerable, throwing yourself out there. But literally like I took a chance, I flew down to Rio and I was training for a month. And, you know, a lot of my successes have been built upon opportunities that I literally, I wasn't convinced that I was going to be successful on those opportunities, but I knew that I had to just throw myself into that opportunity and then you know like you surprise yourself you surprise yourself at first like holy crap like i just you know like there would be times where i would fly literally across the world on my own dime and where you're guaranteed one match and you got to play you know your buddies from california and winner goes home with their tail between their legs and winner gets you know a few thousand in the bank and the opportunity to compete. And like I threw myself into those opportunities and I wasn't guaranteed to win. I didn't, I wasn't even fully convinced. I knew I had a chance, but you know, like it's, it's scary to think about, but when you give yourself opportunities, like good things are going to happen. That's just the probability of it. I think that's like an excellent point for like all players growing up and, and learning right now. And especially at this age of, you know, athletes younger and younger trying to achieve, you know, big things at a young age, scholarships or whatnot is, is you, you, your success seems predicated on your ability to take risks and, you know, give yourself opportunities to succeed. Um, and it, it sounds like you weren't really like swayed by the what if, like the doubt. I mean, it always creeps in, right? But you always kind of seems like you put yourself in opportunities or moments that you had a chance to kind of make something yeah, happen. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, I've thought about this a lot, and maybe you can help me because you're the sports psych. And I don't know if we've discussed this in the past, because obviously, um, to anybody listening, like you've, I've worked with, you've worked with me for a little bit, and I, I learned so much from you, but. I've been trying to find this answer. So this kind of goes into what you were just saying as far as like jumping into opportunities. Um, but I always had this thing where before a match and I wouldn't dwell on it and I wouldn't get too specific, but I would always think of like, what is the worst that could happen? And, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't go into full detail, but I would literally envision myself like, losing flying across the world losing what are the conversations that i i'm gonna have to have to you know my friends my family the, like the people that are rooting for me like what is that and i would just submerse myself to the point where i would like sweat thinking about it and i would go through all of the emotions of having lost and it kind of goes against everything that I've been learning, except for I, I did discover through a friend this idea of like fear setting, which might be applicable. But anyways, to mm -hmm. the point, I would go into um, that high anxiety, uh, intense match 
already having gone through the emotions of the what if on the worst case scenario. So it actually like in a weird way gave me a peace of mind of eh, like I've already I've already experienced the worst, you know, like I'm not worried about it. It's all good. You know, just kind of taking that fear head on beforehand. So you're not wrestling with it, trying to avoid it during competition. I think that that's that's so funny to mention that. And that's why I love being able to talk to a variety of people because everyone's unique experience is like it's it's so exact to what they need in that moment and sometimes it's not from a book it's not from anything anyone told you it's just what you do it's your process and how you learn and find out and uh, and actually there is a theory on that and i forget the exact name of the theory but it's basically unseating the unconscious fear and doubt because it lies deep within inside of you and if you don't unseat it like you were saying it spills out in other ways at times. And so even NASA, when they, um, you know, make a launch, they go through this, this hypothetical theory process where they say, what are all the worst things that can happen? And then they brainstorm for like two or three days to like, look at everything that can possibly happen and go wrong. And I love that actually, to be honest, I think it's, it's, we don't talk about it as much, but I think it's a great way to really dive into like, getting that off your back and just unleashing yourself. And then it allows you to be present and in the moment. So like you, nobody taught you that you just did it, yeah. you know? And, uh, and I think that's the cool piece about it. Being athlete is, is there isn't an exact science to, you know, your best performance. It's through your self-awareness and your learning process. And maybe along the way, somebody yeah. helps you to find a couple of yeah, things, absolutely. you know? Um, thanks for bringing that up. That's such a good point. We don't ever talk well, about well, that. Yeah. It's really? Like, everything that I hear is everything's got to be positive. Like don't let uh, doubt creep in or, you know, but like we all know when you have a fear, like sometimes it's best to address it. And obviously there's a, a good time for that. Like you don't want that, that doubt or that fear to be creeping in when you're trying to play. So for me, it just made sense. And again, I don't know where this came from, but it always just made sense that like the night before, you know, I would, I would process it and I'd be like, all right, if I have to go home tomorrow and if I lose this match, like, like what's that going to feel like? And I would, I would literally dream so hard that like, I would be going through those emotions, but like, I Mm -hmm. just played so much more free the next day because I already wrestled with it. It didn't matter. Like I already, there's nothing to fear. I already went through it, you know? Yeah. I, I love it. I, I love it. I think I use that in my sport to a certain extent in my competitions as well. And I didn't, I didn't really know any theory or anything behind it. It's yeah. just what I did. So you had a, you had a huge learning process and you got to an extreme high level considering by the way that you started, you know, what a lot of people would say would be late in the, you know, competitive yeah. world. Uh, even though beach volleyball allows for a longevity range that a lot of sports don't. But then you uh, made a shift, you know, you're, you're a player, you know, you're, you're tapping your potential, you're, you know, really stepping into some great moments and some success as an athlete. Tell me about this switch to coach from player to coach. When did that occur and how did, how did you come upon that? Yeah, so um, really it just, it was something that had to, happen in the mind before I made the conscious effort to 
you know, switch what my focus was. Uh, I think I was doing both for a while where I was coaching and playing, but really I was just so engulfed in playing and doing coaching on the side. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't pursuing coaching that, that hard. Um, But there just came a point in time where I don't really know if there was one reason or if it was, several or if I was just to that point, but I remember, um, what used to keep me up at night or when I was lying in bed was as a player, it was, you know, like my skills and my abilities and like how I was going to, you know, overcome a certain hurdle or get better at a certain thing or who I'm going to play with. But then all of a sudden I just, I literally started to stay up at night and stay awake thinking about drills I was going to do for my athletes. And, it was kind of at that point where I was like, man, like I'm utilizing, you know, this uh, energy that used to be geared towards my career, my journey. But now I'm like starting to use it on my athletes and I'm coaching. And so, you know, at that time I was doing both, but that's really when the shift started happening for whatever reason, I just started to care a little bit more about this other thing. And, and so, um, that was that was when the shift happened, and then probably a year year and a half later, I made the switch completely. And it was it was a pretty you know significant switch. Now you're at Cal, uh, you're coaching uh, the beach volleyball women's team there. How does the does there is there translation from player to coach that you that you took with you? And uh, on that, is there other new things that you had to learn to coach at a high level that you skills that you didn't have that you had to adapt that didn't follow you as a player. Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, like I think of myself as just like on the ground floor as a coach, like I'm learning so much um, every day, you know, I, I think obviously I know the game, but you know, knowing the game and being able to communicate it are two different things and still only just a small piece of, of coaching. So you know, it's good to have that experience of, um, you know, so I started at 19 playing. I was an adult going through every single phase in transition of the sport. I think a lot of times great athletes, they start at, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, where they're not even understanding what they're doing, but they just grew up with the ball in their hand. And so, you know, if you were to ask them like, hey, like, you know, how did you start or what was it? They wouldn't really be able to explain it because they were like so young going through that. But my unique um, journey is that I was an adult, like having to understand process literally from like not being able to do anything to where I got to at the end. So I kind of understood every single level. And, you know, when you're coaching, like I find that super valuable because I can relate. I can say, Hey, I remember like having to develop this skill that a lot of people just are have at an early age. I remember having to go through it. I remember the thoughts that I had having to develop it and the frustrations that went along with it. So I think that's certainly helped, you know. And then as you know, we've discussed before, it's just a lot of mental stuff uh outside of the skills and mm-hmm. and uh you know the technical training, but that's all stuff that, you know, I'm learning a ton every single day. Is preparation uh, as a player for competition and preparation as a coach 
similar or different for you? Similar. Um, obviously, to be literal, they're different, but similar. I mean, I'm always, you know, um, it, as far as coaching goes, it's um, I spend so much of my time like thinking about like the individual and how I'm going to get them from point A to point B, you know, and then as far as like the team, again, point A to point B. And that's what you're doing as a player too. You're just like, how am I going to make this next jump? And it starts with, you know, thinking, processing, um, you know, coming up with the strategy of how you're going to do it. And then just putting in the reps, you know, as a athlete or coach, you got to put in the reps, you know, and you got to be self-aware enough to know that, you know, you're either doing things the right way or the wrong way and be able to assess it and fix it if need be and, and move on. I mean, there's a lot of similarities for sure, but, you know, as an athlete, like you're, it's all about you, you know, you're taking in all these different uh, resources and being selfish with it really. Cause it's about you, but as a coach, it's more you're outside and you're just trying to help this other thing, you know, uh, through the process. And I think that there's like so many similarities that you're hitting on right now that were your process mm-hmm. that you're translating to your process mm-hmm. as a coach, as a coach, because you had to learn all the steps yeah. piece by piece to put it all together. And so you understand the building blocks to create um, success and you don't skip right. pieces like in your process for training, you couldn't skip pieces because you were playing, I guess, maybe catch up because you were starting a little bit later. And so you had to fundamentally understand all the pieces. And I think that translates excellent as a coach because you can shape and form uh, these younger athletes pieces step-by-step fundamentally and know what it takes to get to a certain level without skipping steps. And you got to love the practice, you know, like what you did. Um, So I think that's a really cool experience how you take that into coaching. Do you see yourself as having multiple roles now at, I mean, at the stage of coaching that you're at now, because there's a lot of, um, you know, at the collegiate level, you're dealing with more than just, uh, you know, training and coaching to, to win. You have student athletes and they have other things and lives and pieces that are going on as well. Do you, do you see that occurring as a coach? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, um, you know, you're that coach, that leader, but you're also, you're a therapist, you're a psychologist, uh, you're a mentor, you're, you know, really a peer and a friend a lot of times too. And so you're just kind of the glue, to be honest, of just trying to, how can I pull all these things together and, and get everybody to, you know, the same outcome. So, you know, it depends, I think, on the environment that you're around and, you know, the time. Uh, are you, you know, off season, in season? Uh, what it, like, what does your environment look like? Because you, you have to wear all hats. And I didn't realize that, you know, jumping in, I thought, you know, I was going to teach the, the, you know, my team the sport of volleyball and the skills associated with it. But you actually spend uh, a significant more amount of time wearing the other hats. And I think one important thing to note is um, I think there's this old school uh, way of thinking where 
you know, if you're going to be a coach, like you have this authoritative voice and like, you know, you're just the leader or whatever. But a lot of my early success that I've found has been because I've presented myself as literally like a peer and like a friend, um, like on their same level. And that sounds like, you know, I'm like trying to be humble, but it really is in my mind, an important piece, uh, to the, to the role of coach and something that we probably feared, you know, uh, any coach 10 years ago would say, no, you can't, you know, you've got to make sure that you have, you know, authority over them. Like you can't let them get off with, you know, being undisciplined and like, they're not your friend. Like that was early on. Like people were telling me that, like, don't let them think that they're your friend. And I just, I don't know, like that never really worked for me as an athlete. And I've, my experience early on is that doesn't work, you know, for me as a coach either. I think, I think again, that's, it just resonates in terms of this aspect of like you finding your process and like understanding who you are and being authentic. And it seems like that translated to success again. I mean, a lot, a lot of people would agree with you, I think. And there would be other people that would say, no, like the style has got to be authoritative, but like, again, this matches up, it appears, with your authentic yeah. self. That's going to shine through with players. Yeah. So as a coach, you see on and off the court kind of struggles and battle, battles. With, with sport, do you, do you see the importance or um, do you put that into your coaching, the off-the-court kind of battles and struggles or, um, you know, the, the player off the court in terms of, you know, their success matters off the court uh, as it does on the court. Does that part of, is that part of your coaching style or how do you, how do you view that? Yeah. And, and, you know, when I'm, it's, I still currently coach high school kids. um, I'll sometimes still coach adults. And of course I've got this uh, team at a university level. So, you know, certainly with like my team at Cal, like they they're balancing academics and they're balancing their social life and, you know, the different clubs and stuff that they're participating in. And um, that's what they're there for. And you got to recognize that they're not there just for volleyball and for your team. So like you have to be supportive um, of that, but also as we know, like you need balance. Um, you can't sustain just one thing at a super intense level, you know, for a long period of time without getting burnt out. Um, so, you know, we, we absolutely have to make sure that they're, you know, balancing their life off the court, because if you're going to require them to be intense and get a lot out of them on the court, you got to make sure that they walk away from it and are able to turn the switch off you know, once they're off the court. So yeah, like you spend a lot of time helping them manage that as well. How do you, so taking that into consideration, like I love your concept of being multiple hats, a therapist, you know, a a coach, a a peer, a mentor. How do you incorporate mental training or mental aspects into coaching for your players? Yeah. um, You know, it's something that I'm not really good at having a very organized developed approach where we sit down and, and, and we go over like sports psych, you know, I, I mean, I, I draw on a lot of my own experiences and um, you know, my experiences of, you know, being in competition and feeling that level of anxiety and, and stress and what I did to deal with it, you know? Um, so I try and convey 
um, those types of things. But I also understand that like everybody's different, you know, everybody's different. So you have to treat each athlete as like their own person. And, and there's some things that obviously like you have one team object objective and there's some, there's some truths, some rules that everybody's going to abide by. Um, but there, you can't, you, you're going to be fair with everybody, but you can't be equal with everybody and how you treat them. So, you know, I might talk to one athlete completely different than another athlete. And to the outside that might be looked at as like, that's not fair. Like you get, you're, you're giving her a longer leash than you're giving this girl, but it really comes down to like athletes are different. So going back to like the mental skills, it's uh, in the same way, like, um, how am I going to get this girl, you know, over her, uh, slump over her, um, you know, like inability to do a specific task. Do I need to like pump her up with confidence or do I need to like, you know, give it to her straight and maybe she's not self-aware, you know? So we, it's just a lot of communication to be honest. And, um, mm. you know, we've been fortunate enough to, uh, you know, more in the off season, bring in some people every now and then to talk about those things on a more developed level. But um, really it's just trying to understand the best you can, what they're going through and um, you know, go through it with them. And I think you touched on like a really, really good point. And I'm like thinking of so many things right now, but I mean, I've been watching the last dance, um, you know, with, with Michael Jordan and that's so really interesting to look back at Phil yeah. Jackson and like what he's doing with these players that are just having all sorts of problems and different things that are happening and different personalities and how he was able to manage like a, a player like Dennis Robin and give him this ex super extended leash say like, you know, go to Vegas, do your thing, but be back, you know, in 48 hours so we can go play this game and win the championship. Yeah. Um, it, it's a perfect example of like, what you're talking about here. And it is a huge mental uh, component is communication, yeah. knowing your players and just being able to communicate on that level, depending on what that player might need, I think is a huge mental, uh, mental yeah. component. Um, yeah. I mean, and whether we know it or not, it's it, it, the communication alone is like extremely hard yeah. sometimes you know and to be able to do it is powerful yeah i feel like you have to with communication like you have to have that self-awareness component of knowing how you sound and knowing how you're coming across and knowing if you know that's getting through to the athlete or not um but at the same time it's it's uh being able to articulate because all all you're doing as a coach and as any sort of leader like you're just influenced you're just influencing them, you know, you're just trying to motivate them and influence them and sell that, sell them on this idea of it being worth it. So yeah, you're not going to take the same approach to everybody because not everybody responds the same. And so I, you know, again, a lot of times people probably, probably would look at Phil Jackson, even maybe some of his own players and be like, that's unfair. That's unfair that you're letting this athlete go to Vegas for 48 hours and, you know, he can skip practice and he still gets playing time, yada, yada, yada. And it's, you know, it's a fine line, obviously, but I mean, who did it better than Phil Jackson, you know, and that's the, that's exactly what I'm talking about as far as uh, 
coaching the athlete as an individual, you know? That's such a huge point. I love that point. Um, so, you know, as we go through this kind of time, you know, we're in a, a completely different time than as an athlete or as a player uh, or a coach I've ever been through. And I know you know, none of us have been through. So what, what are you doing now with your coaching and, and with your players in terms of this pandemic? And, and, you know, there's so much uncertainty and, and not knowing what's next. How are you coping or managing that as a yeah, coach? Yeah, so I would say, like, honestly, early on, the first couple of weeks, uh, it, I was not handling it <laughs> well at all. Like, I was devastated. I was crushed. You know, I was pissed. I was, you know, woe is me. Um, you know, and I was – and I kind of had to realize, again, like – you know, this is everything that I preach against. Like you, you're going through adversity and you're just sitting on your butt, like feeling sorry for yourself. And I did, I did that for like two weeks when this first happened, I was so devastated. Um, and I don't really know or remember what the switch was for me, but I, I just had to like, kind of have an awakening moment of here I am like, you know, and we were on zoom calls, you know, I, so literally we went from, it was a Thursday morning. We went from, or maybe a Wednesday morning. We went from uh, coming off our, our best win in, you know, maybe program history. We're currently ranked our highest ranking in program history. And everybody's feeling good. Like, we're riding a high. We're starting to gel. And that morning, I'm preparing for our next opponent. And I'm, you know, like, stoked to be scouting and feeling good about it. And then hours later, I'm telling the team, uh, we're done. Like, this is the last time we'll all be together most likely. And it was like crazy swing and it, and everybody has, you know, that story in in their own way, but it was crazy to be going from, you know, that high of a high to that low. And, um, you know, so again, I, I took it hard for two weeks. Um, and I just realized that, you know, everything that I've been preaching this whole year about getting through adversity, having grittiness, um, you know, falling back on your training and having a positive uh, mindset that I was like, when push came to shove for me, I was failing hard and nobody was, you know, able to call me out on it because I'm just in quarantine by myself. But I had to like realize for myself, like, wow, I suck at <laughs> I suck at everything that I'm preaching right now. So. Anyways, long-winded answer. Um, I kind of uh, got back up, and we've been having weekly Zoom calls. Um, you know, we were in a situation where I, I think a lot of teams, especially at Cal, they're meeting more and they're doing more at this moment because their season's about to start, like in the fall. But we just had our season cut short. I wanted to give them a break, an opportunity to, you know, grieve and you know, find, you know, find their stride in this crazy time being at home. We're not going to play for another nine months, you know, our season. So um, we've pretty much gone on to summer break. But uh, during the time, you know, we had weekly calls up until two weeks ago um, where, you know, I was just trying to engage them, make sure that they're all okay and that, you know, I'm available if they need it um, and still trying to convey that message of, uh, don't, don't forget that there are opportunities here. Just like how I talked about when the AVP went bankrupt and I took that 
you know, as an, as a time to take advantage of opportunities, like they can all do the same. Like there's still stuff that they can work on, you know? I think, uh, again, that brings it right back home, right? Like we're all human, like, and from like talking, Derek, it's really about your human experience. Like your experience is getting translated down to success by you working through your own adversity. And that's, you know, even talking earlier about as a player, you had to do a lot of self-awareness and understanding all my doubts, my fears. And then, you know, you work through your process um, and it just, here it is again, like, you know, there's nobody that's kind of safe from like this epidemic, this pandemic in like, we're all just dealing with it fine. And I think that's a human experience and, and you going through it most likely kind of translated down to your players because that's what they're feeling yeah. as well. And I think, again, that's, that may be part of like your coaching process that really, really helps. I wanted to ask you what you want from your, your players. What do you want your players to learn or leave with after you're able to work with them? Yeah. I mean, um, I, you know, I, I want them to, first of all, completely buy in and, and, and trust what we're trying to do. Um, but I think, you know, being in a university and being on a team has such a unique opportunity, um, for self-development. I mean, where else do you really learn how to collaborate and cooperate with others you know, for four years, essentially, um, where you're trying to, you know, get to a specific goal that you guys have. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they're going to be certainly challenged in those same ways um, later on in life. And they're going to have to draw on these experiences that they've had um, to overcome, again, adversity with a group of people and, you know, check your own agenda at the door and your own ego at times and really just buy in and uh, cooperate with people. So, you know, I, I would love for all the girls that I coach um, to be, you know, future leaders and to have such a good understanding of um, overcoming uh, what they had to overcome and getting through it and that they can become future leaders. And, and I think my, maybe this is my mission statement, if you will. Um, I always want the thing that the one thing that helped me more than anything was again, like getting that, um, gaining that confidence in myself. Um, and if, if I could do one thing that's, you know, empower my athletes to believe in themselves, because then it doesn't matter. Like once you have that ability to um, like know that you can really tackle anything and you might not, not everybody's going to be an Olympian, not everybody's going to be CEO, but you know, if you know that you can put a lot into um, one objective and be really good at that because you've gone through that and you have that experience, like you can tackle anything, you can tackle anything and, and keep that as the template for how you do it. I like that a lot because it, it it's, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about the athlete on the court and off the court. And I think that translates so well for sport in like learning ability to, to be able to like really work through a process and get over any kind of hurdles and then reach some successes because it's, you're going to have all these battles off the court and off, you know, off, off the, you know, training platform. And that that's so valuable to, 
to athletes just because we're all human at, at every level and knowing that ability to, I, I can stand where I am and overcome things as they come at me because they're coming yeah. at you like we, like we're dealing with right now. Exactly. Um, so I like that a lot. Um, I, the last thing you hear in today is just any, any advice you would give for like future athletes coming up? Um, you know, I guess it, it depends on, you know, it could be any athlete, but like, you know, you work in the beach volleyball world, any kind of um, things that you would like to offer up that might be, you know, some, some sage words, I guess, uh, if they're trying to get to the collegiate level or just, you know, even, even the pro level. Yeah. yeah um, understand that it is a process and that you are going to have to work really hard. Um, not just here and there, but you're going to have to sustain it for a long period of time. And so don't be down if, you know, after year one, you, you're not where you want to be even year two, whatever, like, it's the long, it's a long-term game. Um, so, you know, you have to be able to find a level of uh, intensity. And again, balance will help you with that intensity. If you have balance in your life, you'll be able to be more intense with this, but you have to find an intensity and work ethic that you can sustain. Because I think a lot of anybody can work hard for a short period of time. And I think, that's where most people fall short is they go, oh, I'm going to go really hard at this. And then they are nowhere to be found after three months, four months. I saw it a lot as a player. Like you get these guys that come out and they, they just talk about how much, how bad they want it. And they, you know, act like they're were and maybe they were going super hard, but like, where are they after year one, after year two, are they fizzled out? So, you know, you got to be prepared at, not getting what you want early on and having to endure um, throughout a long process. But again, going back, like once you do that, like you'll understand that you can really achieve anything that you want. That's, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the heart of a lot of this is just the process and the ups and downs and like story after story. It's like the consistency, you know, it's a marathon, not a race and sticking with it. And it's always a surprise, you know, like if I stick with this long enough, like it's going to be so exciting to see where I end up. Yeah. I love that advice. Derek, thanks so much for like talking on so many points and giving so much good little nuggets for, for everyone, you know, to, to hear and listen to. Um, Cause I love it. I love it so much because it's your process. Right. You know, I think I'm sure you adapted some things that people taught yeah. you. But a lot of it is your self-exploration. I think that's a super invaluable lesson for people in the coaching or, or as an athlete just to, to really, you know, take the time to learn. Where can people um, find you and uh, kind of follow you at um, social media? Yeah, my Venmo. Is, no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, my Instagram. <laughs> Venmo, Derek, everybody, uh, 25 yeah. bucks. Uh I pretty much only use Instagram at this point. I think I have a Twitter and Facebook. I try and avoid, uh, but Derek Olson 11, D E R E K O L S O N one, one is my Instagram. So, so everyone check out Derek, if you have any questions or any comments and you want to reach out to him and, and get some more information feel free to do that, um, through his Instagram. I'm sure he, he'll be able to provide some, some information if needed. Derek, thank you so much. Uh, look forward to following you at Cal and, and seeing how you guys do, and and we'll we'll keep in touch. For sure. Hopefully, that wasn't too much word salad for you, but uh, um, I know you're a good editor. So, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Always a pleasure.
All right. Thank you. Great interview, Ami. This is Brian and Ami with the Mental Coach Debrief on podcast with Derek Olson. Um, I thought there's a ton of great information in there and for athletes listening and for anybody, even coaches and parents of athletes. But what were some of the main themes that you picked up in there? Yeah, it was really um, interesting to hear the perspective from player to coach. I thought that was the unique um, kind of topic that we had there with Derek. Um, there was a lot of stuff that he mentioned in terms of like just authentic process for him and, you know, building authentic confidence, I think was one of the highlights that really stood out for, for me when he was talking about his journey as a player. Yeah, he talked a lot about outworking his um, opponents or outworking the field and gave just the belief. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but the belief that you are doing everything you possibly can and as you're doing it maybe even imagining that those those players or those those opponents that you're up against you know you're beating them in the process that you're working i thought that's that's really important but it's also a perception right it's also a belief system that he's developed yeah he like a really authentically developed that authentic belief system through training and you know as you mentioned he he's loved the process always has and I even remember being around Derek when he was coming up and and I was playing you know and he he loved training like he said he just loved training he would train all the time and I think that really you know created that authentic belief that uh he, he talked about because he knew for the most part that he had outworked most people that he was playing against yeah so one one big area that I think we should touch on for everybody listening is the idea of fear setting that Derek talked about and that you mentioned you might have even practiced and used when you were playing. So could we kind of go over what fear setting is and how it works and how you use it? Yeah, Brian, I think I think that was a great point. Like we don't really talk about it too much um, in terms of the way that Derek had presented it. Uh, but I think it's a real thing that a lot of people um, kind of dive into. And, you know, that that concept of having fear that you're wrestling with. But if you're trying to push it away and ignore it or repress it, it still seems to find its way out. And the last place you want to find it uh, coming out is during your performance. So I thought it was amazing for him to create that unique perspective for us that, um, you can wrestle with your fear before you perform so you can unseat it and it doesn't have the power uh, and capability to unleash its kind of doom and gloom, you know, on the court uh, or in your performance. So, uh, you know, there is there is some wealth of knowledge there just just looking into how can I kind of wrestle with this, deal with this now, so I don't have to carry it with me onto the court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the idea is that you're actually using it as part of your preparation, but doing it with um, maybe, well, in Derek's case, and probably for a lot of other people, not necessarily knowing that you're, you're fear setting, but knowing that, okay, I'm going through these moments that are really intimidating or the ones that I just don't want to see when I when I perform, but with the purpose and with the emphasis of I'm actually visualizing these, I'm imagining these so that I understand, okay, they're not as scary as they would be if they did happen 
the worst case possible scenario happened for his case on the court, I know that I can persevere through it. I know that I can play through it and it's not going to define that performance. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and as you know, Derek was speaking, it was just really interesting to, you know, going back to, you know, his love, the process to hear his whole process because he was a late bloomer and I'm shifting a little bit here, um, to talking about his, his kind of body, how he grew into his body a little bit later. And that's a common theme. I think we've heard with quite a few athletes on the podcast at this point where, you know, they started in one sport and then kind of shifted once they found, oh, I have a different body than I had before. And it was a little bit late in blooming. And the same process happened for Derek. And that created him stepping into beach volleyball much later than, or volleyball in general, much later than, than most of the athletes. Yeah, I've definitely heard that too. It was great, though, when he talked about traveling across the world to play in this tournament and maybe even get one match against an opponent that you could play on your home courts. But um, just seeking those opportunities and taking tremendous risk to um, play the game he loves. And I loved when he was discussing and describing those games in Rio before the 2016 Olympic Games, but the the pre-tournament against the future gold medalists and the future silver medalist teams and just his gratitude for the moment and excitement having reached that that level and and realizing it maybe i don't know if he did realize it realize it when he was on the court but definitely now and just loving that i love that too that um basically that whole point of opportunities like create a lot of opportunities for yourself and you have a really good chance of uh, stepping into some like amazing things. Um, and, and so that, that whole concept of opportunities and shifting a little bit to the coaching aspect, I thought that was interesting. I don't know what you thought about like hearing it from a perspective of a player and then diving and switching into him as a coach. Cause he's fairly young as a coach, I, I guess at, at his level. Um, and he kind of made the switch fairly fast, I would say from player to coach. what do you think? Yeah, he had some really good frameworks around being a coach and how to coach effectively with his style. I mean, it sounds like humility is his most important part of his role and not being so authoritative where like the advice he had gotten where you can't actually connect with his players at like some sort of a, a professional friend relationship level. Um, but, you know, being able to relate to them and also share his experiences, but understand that they're also going to go through it differently. So he can't expect them to go through it the same way that he went through it or that somebody else goes through it. Um, and yeah. then, and then the, like the big one though, the really important one for coaches that I think stood out is being fair, but not equal in his communication style and understanding how to connect with players as a first and, and individually and not sort of like using a blanket style of leadership over with everybody. Well, yeah, I think you just nailed it all right there, Brian. I mean, it, it, like you just uh, kind of captured everything he, he kind of presents as a coach. And I think that's why his team really, you know, Cal really made a big push and, and increased their program. Um, and it, it all stems from the coaching, I believe. And 
he encapsulates everything you just mentioned. And I think that all stems from the process that he loves the process so much and he took every step of the process. So it makes it, I think, easy for him to see the players for who they are and then mm-hmm. treat them as a player first, like you said, like a, as an individual. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, great job, Ami, really good interview. Um, this one's a great one and uh, keep it up, good work. Cool. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, that was fun. And we'll look forward to the next one. So everybody keep posted and uh, we'll be on to the next podcast after the or episode after this. If you have a desire to be great in what you do and a keen interest in the mental aspects of performance, then you're in the right place. Well You Mental Training seeks to push the edge of the mental game through evidence-based practices and stories from athletes similar to the one you're listening to today. Your collaboration matters as part of this process, so please head over to iTunes and leave us a review with your honest feedback on the podcast. We'd love to hear what you have to say. If you are as excited about the mental training stories you're hearing as we are, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and teammates too. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WellUApp. That's W-E-L-L-U-A-P-P. And learn more about the work our mental coaches are doing through LinkedIn and Facebook. 